Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Have another great interview for you this week. We've been having some great guests on. If you missed my Coach's Corner last week, Pleasure on Purpose with Dr. Heike Joy Hudson, you're definitely going to want to go back and listen to that one. I've been getting so many Instagram messages and emails about how awesome that one was. So don't miss it. Have another awesome person to introduce you to today. I love bringing people from my world into your world. But before I get to my introduction of Dr. Matt, I want to remind you of a few things. First of all, I want to remind you that there's nothing wrong with you and you're worthy and you're whole and you're complete. And I give you total permission to stop working so quote unquote hard (laughs) at fixing yourself because there's nothing wrong with you. And I can say that time and time and time again, but you are the one that needs to say that to yourself. So take my words and turn them on yourself. Really, really know that it is a human condition to fall into the misunderstanding that there's something wrong with us, to have amnesia and forget who we truly are in terms of being lovable and whole and complete. So please know you are worthy, you are deserving, there's nothing wrong with you. And keep growing, keep learning. You know, Steph and I are actually in a workshop this weekend because we want to keep learning. We want to keep growing. I'm always a student of life, but I don't come from, I'm broken. I come from, great, what else can I learn? How can I grow in consciousness? Cool, awesome. And it wasn't always like that when I was at the beginning of my growth and kind of more in my pain and more in cleaning up my old wounds. It was, you know, not so light in terms of how I did personal growth work, but eventually it gets to that point. And I'd love to further support you in your personal development. So there's a couple ways that I can do that. You've heard me talk about my spring retreat. We are halfway sold out and it's October and this is in March. (laughs) And usually the rush comes in at the end. So if we're halfway sold out, you're going to want to get your spot soon. It's christinehasler.com slash spring dash retreat, or you can email jill at christinehasler.com. Also, my personal mastery course is really hopping right now. I'm doing Facebook Lives. I'm doing group coaching calls. If you join my personal mastery course, which is my online course to getting over it and on with it on the emotional, mental, behavioral, and spiritual level, then you also get a free monthly coaching call with me, which is really cool, and Facebook Lives, and the support from the four other coaches in the group. So if you're looking for a tribe, if you're looking for some accountability in your personal growth work, if you're looking for more love from me, then I invite you to go and join us at masterychristinehasler.com slash mastery. So today we are going to be talking about awakening the mystic with Dr. Matt Kreinheader. So Dr. Matt is a friend of mine and today we explore questions like, are you mystic? Do you feel a calling towards something bigger? Have you had experiences that you cannot possibly describe or define with your rational mind? Do you feel like you can be both a mystic and an entrepreneur? 
So who is Dr. Matt? Well, he is a transformational healer, speaker, and coach. He has a doctorate in chiropractic, a master's degree in acupuncture, and has professionally written for publications all over the globe. His new book, Awakening the Mystic, is something we talk about in depth today. And you can learn more about Dr. Matt at drmattk.com. That's D-R-M-A-T-T-K.com. So enjoy my very insightful and beautiful conversation with my friend here in Encinitas, Dr. Matt. Matt, I am so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited about the conversation we're about to have. Me too. Thank you so much. So I am holding your beautiful book. Like it feels beautiful. It is beautiful. It has beautiful energy. I'm holding it in my hands. And I, there's, there's a lot of power that comes from this book. And the title is Awakening the Mystics, a rally cry for the dormant mystic archetype in the time we need it most. I mean, you could have been done right there. <laughs> just, <laughs> just that and you could have been done. So I would love to begin with why you wrote this book. Like, what is this book and why did you write it? Yeah, thank you. Uh, a great question. And I'll give two answers. The most honest answer is that the book started talking to me before I wrote it. There was this kind of connection, this voice, this knowing that something had to happen, something had to be shared through me that didn't really have a voice yet. But I literally for a few months, every couple of days or you know, a week or so started to get this like Hey, time to write a book. Hey, time to write a book. Hey, it's going to be about your spiritual journey and the the nature of the spiritual journey and how to really go deeper into that process for those of us who are inclined towards the mystical. So that's kind of really how it started. And then the the second thing that was most interesting to me was being a rallying point or kind of a lighthouse for those of us who want to be of service in the world, but also have a deep spiritual side, because mm. that's not really accepted in our culture right now. So this book seeks to, and hopefully it will, kind of fit into that place where people want to be making a difference on the leading edge of the new paradigm and also want to be deeply spiritual. So. Let's define mystic. You write the mystic archetype. What does that mean? Because a lot of people could hear that and be like, oh, that means like I'm some kind of wizard with powers and <laughs> making potions in my basement. Like, <laughs> what is a mystic? And what is well, an archetype? I think we should define both those things. Cool, cool. Let's start with the second one first because I think that's important. Yes. So an archetype is basically a character that as soon as you say the name, you know exactly what that means. And if anyone's familiar with Joseph Campbell's work, he looked at archetypes across cultures all over the world. So when we say a word like warrior, every culture has some variation on what a warrior is. If we have a king, every culture has a version of king, queen, priestess, goddess, uh, teacher, savior, all of these things are different kind of roles with a set of behaviors, with a set of beliefs that all cultures can easily identify with. So that's what an archetype is. The mystic specifically is, the way I define it, is a person who sees between worlds. And that's a little obtuse. 
but it's it's a sense of someone who's had some spiritual experiences or personal experiences that are outside the boundaries of what's normal and outside kind of the normal day-to-day 3D world experience. And those experiences give us a sense of gravity or a sense of how the universe really works that can really inform how we choose to live, how we choose to love, how we choose to serve, how we choose to spend our time and make a difference in the world. And it's kind of a funny archetype because you're right. People say mystic and and they get the image of big, tall, pointy hats with stars and comets on them and, and you know, all this <laughs> weird stuff. But the truth is that there's there's been mystics throughout time that have been at the leading edge of both cultural, scientific and spiritual movements. And for the last 100 years, 200 years, that role has really not been appreciated. And I think we're at a time where it has to start being appreciated in order for us to move back towards a healthy culture. Mm, okay. Well, so we'll talk a little bit more about our time in the culture, but I want to get personal first. Mm-hmm. What was your first mystical experience or the first experience that you recall where you were like, whoa, like there's more here than just what I can see? Yeah, cool question. So I grew up in a Roman Catholic household. So I was church every Sunday. I, I think between the time I was born and when I went to college, I missed three Sundays. I mean, we were pretty, pretty devout. And so there was always that context in the background, but I didn't really connect with that system, but I was hungry. You know, there's a lot of cool things that they talk about in Catholicism that I was interested in experiencing that I just never got a taste of. So I started to look for other things. And when I was around 16, I started the very beginnings of a meditation practice. I actually started studying astral projection, which is a weird and interesting technique. And then all of that precursor led to when I was, I think, 18, I got in a car accident and I rolled the car I was driving Mm. and ended up being fine. But about two weeks later, I had a dream where I remember driving that car. And in the dream, all of a sudden, I was floating above the car higher and higher and higher and higher, hundreds of feet above the car. And then in that dream, which was very real to me and very vivid, I had the distinct experience of remembering dying. And Mm. in that experience of remembering dying, I had remembered being through that process multiple times and just remembering the experience of death having happened and you know, my my views tend to lean towards reincarnation, not so strictly in the way that many people think about it, but in some sense. But I had this experience of of having died. And the the words that came out of my mouth were just, oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I remember doing this. Oh, yeah, I'm not afraid of this at all. Oh, yeah, this is the most natural thing that could ever possibly happen. And since then, I've come to think of it as the the second most important thing that happens in our life after being born. Mm, mm, <laughs> so mm. that just like opened me up to a lot of exploration and studying Buddhism and, and Taoist philosophy and, and a whole bunch of other stuff from there. So when you remember dying, did you remember the process of it or did you just remember like that this happens? Yeah, it was more the latter and it was just a flash of of waking into knowing 
what that process is like mm-hmm. and that it's not to be feared. It's not to be avoided. It's just natural. It's just a thing that happens. And the kind of sensation or knowing that I had was just almost as if you remember yesterday yeah, and remember the day before. It's like, oh, these were just kind of experiences that happened already. So do you think, because I think that a lot of people who've had near-death experiences, and I don't know how close you got to dying in that car accident or some kind of accident or some kind of, even if you didn't almost die in that accident, when you get in a car accident, that's definitely a near-death experience. (laughs) Do you think it takes something that jarring to have a mystical experience? Mm. This is a great question and actually a conversation I was just having about three hours ago. Ah, I love it. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I think that there's there's two ways that this can happen. I think for most of us, we have so much stress and tension and trauma stored in our body that the initial spiritual wake up takes something intense and jarring in order to blast through all of that stuckness with enough energy for us to start to become aware of our energetic nature. That's one way. The other way that it happens is people get committed to doing a daily practice, something like contemplation, meditation, introspection, where they go in to a focus practice and they start to get really aware of what's happening inside of them, inside their body. Mm-hmm. What I tend to see is that when people start to meditate, they focus on stress reduction or they focus on you know, getting calm so they can go to bed or whatever but they don't really have the the framework to go into the deeper kind of uh, contemplation practice. And in our modern context, they often don't have the stamina to do six months a year of that practice that it really takes to get down to some of those fundamental experiences typically. Um, But I think both ways are are possible. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that most of the big stories that we hear happen the first way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say that my mystical experiences have come from either, you know, like just bad things happening, my, what I judge as bad things happening or what I call expectation hangovers or traversing through going back and like processing trauma. Mm-hmm. Like on the other side of that, I have had profound mystical experiences. So I do agree that often it does take kind of like a jarring experience to open us because I feel like Matt, I'm curious what you think of this. We are just so addicted to control. Like we, (laughs) we all want like surrender is one of those like sexy spiritual words, (laughs) but none of us really want to do it. (laughs) So how do you think our relationship to control impacts one, our ability to tap into that mystic archetype and two, yeah. our ability to really do what we're supposed to do, what we're meant to do in the world. Ah, what a cool question. Yeah, I think that control is really just a deep desire for certainty and a deep desire for safety, right? So in this world that keeps moving faster and faster with so much uncertainty, with so much unknown we are looking for some sort of foothold that we can believe in will be there, you know, in 10 minutes, in two days, in a year to keep us safe. And I think we all have variations on what that control looks like. And this control surrender dynamic tends to show up a lot in the areas of our primary wounding, 
whatever that part of life is that we really got cut deep, whether it's relationship or sexuality or uh, money or family, you know, there's always some place that we struggle. So finding some, some way to get present to letting go with our, our massive grip on that area of life is so critical. And I also agree that surrender usually looks for people like taking the day off and then mm-hmm. posting on it on Instagram about it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. And that's not really what that, that means. I have a, this process that I call the, the three steps to surrender. And that's the act of surrender, the moment of saying, okay, I'm not going to try to control anymore. And then the second is the walking in faith and, and the surrender happens in a moment, but you've got to stay in that open, willing and committed place of surrender until the energy can shift until the universe can align to bring and shift and change whatever has to happen and then once we do that we have to go into conscious co-creation from that surrendered place we have to be willing to own our own power and own our own ability to actually make the shift based on what we've asked for and those three steps usually you know, somewhere along the path, it's easy to 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 fall off and mm-hmm. and not really own that full transformative cycle. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And I want to back up just a little bit because in your book, you start off with defining like what a mystic is. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to give a little like assessment quiz to the people listening who are going, well, I want to know if I'm a mystic. That sounds really cool. Well, first <laughs> of all, we all are because we all yeah. have access to all the archetypes. But what are some things, could you ask some questions or define for us a little bit about what a mystic is so people can tap into that archetype a little more? Totally. Yeah. So some of the the attributes that I typically see for people who have the the mystic archetype as one of their kind of primaries is that they are really sensitive and aware of energy. They tend to be interested in the non-ordinary. So they see the kind of goings on of the world and they say, hmm, that seems really funny. It seems like there's another story that's playing here. I wonder what that story is. They may also have spiritual practices and they may not. They may be healers or motivated to do healing work. They may want to be making a difference in the world, but they also know that they can't just kind of go out there and force the difference. They know they want to be part of that in a in a more subtle, in a more nonlinear type of way. So it definitely tends to be a spiritual archetype and there is mystery around it. You know, mm-hmm. there's often kind of like a, a subtlety and a quiet and an exploration of the interior world that has to go along with this archetype. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I, I know I, ha- I lean into this archetype a lot and the, another one that I lean into and resonate a lot with is the hermit. Mm-hmm. And I think those two really go together and that really is, and a hermit doesn't mean you stay inside forever, but you kind of go inward to reflect, to learn, to download, and then you kind of take that teaching out into the world. I feel like a lot of present day mystics often are disconnected from that archetype because they're a little too stuck in the archetype of the victim. Mm-hmm. Could we discuss a little bit how to transition out of that victim archetype and how often it is a, well, maybe you don't agree with me, but I, I often think that a lot of mystics, because of what happens in the conditioning, 
And because there's the more of the victim archetype out there in the world to see Mm -hmm. kind of fall into that, but in their spiritual development, in their personal growth, when they start to really kind of heal the wounds around the victim archetype, then it, they lean, start to lean more into the mystic archetype. Do you, do you see that? Yep. Absolutely. And this falls in the category of the wounding gift dynamic. Mm. And what I've seen is that, and this is partially inspired by my mentor, Donnie Epstein, it says the, our greatest wound becomes our greatest gift. And for those people who are wounded early and intensely in life, they have the longest road back, but they also have the most capability to make the biggest shift for themselves and for other people. And there's this this kind of interesting phenomenon that happens when we're growing up, when we feel unsafe, where we learn to really become highly attuned to the space around us. And for people who become really highly attuned, it almost becomes like a sixth sense. So if they are emotionally attuned, then that becomes someone who becomes an empath, who is really aware of what's happening in the space around them emotionally. If they become energetically or spiritually kind of able to notice what's happening in the space, then there's other gifts that that may come online. But I always, in the work that I do, attract people who have lots of early trauma and lots of intense trauma. And I, when they're ready, love reframing it as something exciting and something that's a big gift. And if you believe like some people do, and and I do that, we have a, an order that we put in before Mm -hmm. we get to this lifetime of, of what it would be to uh, best fulfill our karma. And we choose our family and we choose some of those potentials for trauma. So our potential reframe here is yes, that's horrible. Yes, that sucks. We don't ever want that to happen to people. And it did happen. And what are we going to do with it? Because there's almost always, and I will venture to say always, gifts to be extracted from those experiences Mm -hmm. that the world so desperately needs. And if we're locked into that victim tendency of thinking that we're going to be like everyone else, that we're going to be like kind of the normal, whatever quote unquote normal is type of person, it's probably just not going to look like that. We are going to be outsiders, but God bless the outsiders because there's yeah. the ones who are, are most designed to be leaders. Well, and what's happening, I think more and more is all the quote unquote black sheeps of the family are coming together and, mm-hmm. and we're finding each other, which is why I love the subtitle of this book, like a rally cry for the dormant missing archetype. It's, it's for people listening, like you're not alone. And I agree with you. It has been my my pain and my wounding that I do believe is, is turned into what I'm here to teach. You know, it's like your karma is your dharma, right? Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I was more in that victim archetype of why did this happen to me? And when I really was able to go into that mystic archetype, because for me, being a mystic doesn't mean just having mystical experiences. It to me means being able to see with spiritual sight. And I don't mean being psychic or seeing chakras or auras. I mean, being able to see from the lens of love and not see things as good, bad, right, or wrong, but really see things from the perspective of what is the soul curriculum here? You know, why is this truly happening for me? 
So that's been an important part of the mystic archetype for me. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and there's a point in the spiritual development where we really start to own the truth that we are not just finite individual entities, that we really are uh, interconnected oneness. And we may not always feel that way, but there's aspects of us who always have access mm-hmm. to that. And mm-hmm. the more we explore those aspects of ourself, the more these spiritual gifts tend to turn on. And again, for those who have been wounded, like that is the medicine. We yeah. we are healed by giving what we most desire and what we most need so that the collective can heal through our our kind of excavation of our gifts. It's just it's the it's the salve that soothes, soothes the soul. Mm. So this is a good transition into talking a little bit more about your work. You're a doctor. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about how you got into practicing chiropractic and acupuncture and what that's taught you and how, well, we'll start with that. And then I have another question after, after you cool. give that answer. <laughs> yeah, great. So I was running music stores, actually. My undergrad degrees are in music and in business. And I was running music stores that were doing a whole bunch of money and it was fun and it was different and being a musician, it was a cool thing to do. And then at some point in my mid to late twenties, I kind of started to ask the question what I was going to do when I grew up. Um, and I realized I had three criteria. I was looking for a way to help people in a meaningful way. I was looking for a way to make a good living. And then I was looking for a practical application for the exploration of metaphysics. And what I realized was one of the ways that you have the opportunity to understand how the universe works is look at what happens when it's not working right. Mm. So when someone's sick, when someone's in pain, when someone has problems, my perspective is they're at right angles with the flow of how the universe is supposed to be working in their life. So I went to chiropractic school wanting to help people and Mm. wanting to see make a difference. I discovered early that there was over a hundred different chiropractic techniques. And I started to look for ways that I could specifically use my skill set. And I knew I didn't just want to help with pain or nutrition or anything like that. I was really looking for something more systemic. Um, And I found this technique called network, um, which is all based on light contacts. It's really helps people come out of chronic patterns of fight and flight and help them um, reclaim that, that part of them that balances the fight or flight and the relaxation side. And when that is back online, then they can have all kinds of experiences and, and network is the closest thing that I've found to a standardized magic technique in our healing world. It's really cool and powerful stuff. So. And what, can doing- you just pause? Cause I know like, it's like second nature <laughs> to you, but people are like, yeah. what? Like networking, like what happens? So can you just describe, cause I've had it. So mm-hmm. basically you, you go in and you lie on a table and can you take someone through kind of what the, what the practice is like and what you're actually totally. doing on the body and the energetic system and what's happening there. And, and, and also fight or flight's another term we kind of throw around, mm-hmm. but I'd love for you to break down like what's actually going on in the nervous system cool. and what that does to the body and the unconscious. Sorry, that was a lot, <laughs> That's great. That's great. but I just know that this is something that could really, really educate and help people. Yeah, totally. So the origin of, I'm going to be bold with this, I would say 95% or more 
of the problems that we are facing as individuals is stress mm-hmm. and an amount of stress that we can't handle. And that stress starts as mental and emotional. And then when we get overwhelmed, it goes into the body. So the body starts holding patterns of stress and tension in the muscles, in the posture, in the bones, in the connective tissue. And all of that is controlled by the central nervous system. The central nervous system is the brain, the spinal cord. um, And then from there, it has nerves that go out to all the cells. So when the nervous system learns that it has to be under stress in order to be safe, in order to survive, then it, it promotes these patterns of tension to keep it safe because that's what we've taught it. It needs to do. However, that safety comes at a price and the price is feeling relaxed, feeling at ease, Mm. healthy processes in the body like digestion, cellular repair, all of these things that we need in order to be living a healthy body and also higher mental functioning. When, When the body's in contraction, it actually reduces the amount of blood flow and oxygen that gets to the brain. So this is where most people start. They're under stress and their body can't handle what's going on in their life. So they come into the office, they see me to receive network care, network spinal, and they lay on a table. I start by feeling what's going on in their spine and their body and looking at the patterns. Once there's an assessment of that, I start or the technique. And how do you do that? Because this is where the part of you that's the mystic comes into the part of you that's a practitioner. Yeah. So there's two distinct processes for me. There's the analysis, which is codified, which is repeatable, reproducible. It's taught to people all over the world. The the technique of network is the technique. And that alone is amazing. And then anytime you have a practitioner, whether a network practitioner or someone else who's done a lot of interior work and a lot of spiritual work, they're going to have a second sense of what's happening, an intuitive mm-hmm. sense. So both of those things are happening. And, you know, we do an analysis to see where we want to address the nervous system. And then as a human who has done what I've done, I'm also getting uh, intuitive data. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, from there, the technique is all based on light contacts on the spine. So there's no cracking, there's no crunching. And the reason we use light contacts is that the the nervous system is the most complex, the most sensitive, the most advanced uh, system we know of in the universe. And I mean, it's the only system that holds the advanced complex consciousness that humans hold. So it has to be remarkably complex. So if you have something that's really complex and really sensitive, do you want to be cracking and crunching that? Do you want to be hitting that with a hammer? Mm, <laughs> no, mm-mm, you want mm-mm. to make a really light contact so it can pay attention and say, oh, I kind of checked out from that part of my body. What if I took a breath there? What if I move that? What if I had some memory that came up that I could acknowledge and let go? And then the work really kind of does whatever the work is going to do to start to reduce the stress and let it move through the system so people can come back to more ease and more wholeness. Mm, I love that. And I've had the treatment. I think I've come in twice to you and it's really powerful because it is super light touch. But I've noticed immediately after I've left, there's a, I can feel my nervous system shift. Like I can feel that shift back into my body knows it's safe. Mm-hmm. And that's the funny thing is stress makes the body feel like it's in danger. 
Even if the mind knows I'm not like when I'm stressed out, I'm not afraid a bear is going to come eat me or I'm not going to have a place to sleep at night. But because that stress is creating that fight or flight response in my nervous system, my body doesn't feel safe. And so everything becomes tense. And, and I, I believe as well, the most, most all, whatever we want to say, physical ailments, even kind of emotional distressors come from, from stress. And oftentimes that stress is unprocessed pain in the body. Like I feel like it's very, very painful not to process our wounds, not to look at our pain. So not only is it an important part of becoming a mystic to really feel, I I like to say feel, deal, and heal, like feel, feel your pain, deal with it, find your teachers, get help, learn how to process it, and then heal it apply love, apply passion, apply the forgiveness. And I think one of the greatest ways we heal the pain is we step into service, Mm. step into service. Um, And I know that's another part. And in fact, that kind of rounds out the book of part of the path of awakening the mystic is stepping into service. And I think that that can be exciting, but also daunting for some people because they may think, oh, well, if I step into service, does that mean I have to become a practitioner? I have to write a book or whatever. So I'd love for you to define a little bit about what service really means and how mystics can start to really step more into service. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, service looks a lot of different ways. It can be simply the act of being kind to someone and going through the checkout. It can be raising children. It can be being a practitioner. It can be teaching. It can be writing a book. You know, it can be lots of different things. The, the kind of the nut of it to me is we all have wisdom. We all have gifts. We all have certain unique, specific perspectives and ways that we see the world that other people need. And we are in a time as a collective of great healing where we really need these insights that are living inside other people. Everything we need, someone else has already gone through. Mm. Everything that we have to have access to has already been done. But if it's up to us to figure it all out, that's really inefficient. Yep. So I want to just hold, hold on. You're on such a roll. But what <laughs> you said was so huge. Everything we need, someone else has figured out. Any pain or anything you're going through, someone has been through it. And you don't have to figure it out alone. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of wild to think about, you know, because these things, they feel so huge to us. and they are and to also remember that other people have been through it and there's there's ways to to do it on our own or with the help of another person it's a big deal you know the one of the mottos as a healer and entrepreneur that i've had to take on i've chosen to take on is everything is figure outable and lots of times that figure outableness <laughs> if we continue to make up words it comes from another person you know the people have the answers that we're looking for so true. And that's such a relief. And and then by sharing our own experience, we're often that person that has the answer for someone else. Totally. And we're all in this together. That's that, that that's when we, you know, I think one huge part of a mystical experience is realizing there's no separation. Yeah. There's zero separation. Yeah. And from my perspective, that's the biggest human wound is mm-hmm. the illusion of separation and that feeling that we're we're alone. Um, and we're not, not only are we supported by God, universe, source, whatever you want to call it, but there are just so many angels in human form all around us. And we're all, yeah. we're all in this together. 
I'd also love to talk about how mystics can also be wealthy <laughs> <laughs> and, and really enjoy the physical world reality. Because yes. I think another thing that we're breaking out of is that the hermits and the mystics and the great sages and the spiritual teachers have to be kind of broke, you know, or not, not broke, but just live a life of quote unquote humility and mm-hmm. not want fame or not want money or not want the the luxuries of life and flying first class and things like that, or not want a business. Like mm-hmm. how do you run like a kick-ass business and still be mystical? So oh, yeah. how does mysticism and success and entrepreneurism and wealth, how do all those things go together? I love this question. I agree. We have for hundreds of years been living under the illusion that wealth and spirituality cannot go together. And it started, I believe, for good reasons that people would chase wealth and their lifetime, their lifespan was really short. And it really kept them in the illusion of this kind of 3D tangible world being the ultimate truth, and they didn't pursue spiritual practice. So giving up that need for wealth uh, gave them the time to to go in or inwards. Mm. I think we live in a very different experience now, not only is our lifetime two to three times longer than it was then, but we also need people who have wealth to be responsible spokespeople and to be stewards of what can happen in a society. And it's really hard, unfortunately, to make a shift on large scales if you are outside the context of being willing to have money. And I think that now is the most important time for us to be willing to own Mm-hmm. Uh, all these aspects of ourselves that it's okay to be in a blissful vision on your meditation mat and then go lead a webinar of 2000 people or you know go give a talk to 5000 people or whatever it is that you do for your business like i believe that the stewards of what must come next will need to have the ability to have both of those on board, the deep spirituality and that access to wealth and whatever that means to them. I agree. And I I think I've said this before on the podcast in terms of money is an energetic and money is still a currency that runs a lot of things in our world. Like it's, it's not going anywhere. (laughs) Even if we shift more to cryptocurrency or whatever, like it's there. And the more wealth that can get into the hands of conscious people, the better. Like if we really want to uplift the planet and change things, then consciousness has to get into wealth, into politics and government, into education, into the medical system, like all of those kinds of things. Sure, we can innovate and start new things like blockchain and those kinds of things, but we also have to get into the systems that are already there and elevate them. And if mystics kind of stay too much in the spiritual world and don't have like two feet on the ground in 3D reality, then I think we're really missing an opportunity to be that bridge between heaven and earth, to be the bridge between the unseen and the seen. And I think that's an important part of being a mystic. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree. And, And I think there's some meaning around money that's shifting now that's really important for a long time, wealth accumulation was really defined by how much we could take. 
and specifically take from others mm -hmm. or use methods of control of others in order to accumulate. And there's a lot of collective wounding around that, yeah. that meaning that, that having wealth meant that we took it from someone else. I see this all the time with people who, um, you know, coaching clients who are getting into doing sales that they feel like if they have, it means they took from someone else. Right. But the, the truth is the way the culture is moving is that money is just a means of measurement of value exchange. Totally. If you have that perspective, then you can look at how much money you have as how much good you've created for someone else. That's really exciting. So if we see wealth accumulation as an expression of how much good has been generated, good truth or beauty, I think that's super empowering and it's an uplifting and inspiring way for us to look at you know, having having wealth and, and being able to really look at that as an example of what could be for another person. Mm, mm, I love that. And how does leaning into yourself as a mystic and really understanding that archetype make you a better entrepreneur? <laughs> yeah, a couple different ways. One is I am learning the lesson over and over again that forcing things is not how business grows for me anymore. You know, there's kind of two ways that I see shifts happening in life. And that is from either the manifest to the unmanifest or the opposite from the unmanifest to the manifest. And what that means is it going from making lots of action that creates energy that changes things, or we start with the energy. We start with getting ourselves full of, of energy and alignment and soul and connection and truth of who we are. And then we take that into our lives. And what I've seen is that me starting from an energetic place rather than like trying to force it to happen has been a so much more fun, mm -hmm. B, so much more exciting and interesting because it creates these shifts that I couldn't have expected otherwise. And when I fall into old habits of just trying to force stuff, I realize it's time for me to step back, to slow down and to start to really connect with my vision, my purpose, my higher self and do the inner work and get quiet and see what happens from that place. I love that. I love that. And and I, I would answer almost the identical way. <laughs> uh, when I'm in my head and I'm trying to force it, I'm trying to make it happen and I'm more in that I'm doing it on my own versus like relaxing into it and allowing the space and, and saying, what does the, because the business is an energetic, right? The business is its own entity in a lot of ways. And mm -hmm. it's like, what does it need? And who do I have a divine appointment with? And what is my next level of service? And I, if I'm too in the forcing and trying to make it happen or trying to hit numbers and everybody's like, what's your income goal? And how do you back into it? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> but it doesn't feel expansive to me at all. And of course, like it's important to bring that kind of logical place in, but then I'll step into that mystic archetype and kind of go up and get some elevation and go, all right, what's the bigger picture here? What's the direction? Where do I need to surrender? Where do I need to lean in? What is for the highest? Because there's always kind of my plan in my mind of what I want things to go or how I want things to go or be. And then there's the divine order of things. And 
if I can really create space and tune into that divine order of things, things just are a lot smoother. They may not look exactly like I want or according to my expectations, but they're always for the highest good. Yeah, I agree. And you brought up something that I think is really important because I I see lots of new entrepreneurs. And when we just do the spiritual stuff without the linear stuff, I think that's super challenging to start a business. So I love what you said that we need the mental, we need to figure things out that all needs to happen. And we need to have the spiritual on board as well. Knowing both sides of that equation, I think are really critical. And I think the my perspective is the more your business grows, then the more access to energy and spirit it's going to need because it kind of takes on its own energetic gravity. Yeah, it does. And that is a place where the the mystic really starts to get to steer some of what's going on from a, a nonlinear place, from a more spiritual place. Um, and that can be really fun. Oh, amazing. Uh, okay. So last question here. I'd love for you to tell people if this book, Awakening the Mystic, is for them. Like, how do people know if this book is for them? And then if so, and I think it's for everybody, but I want you to really like (laughs) map it out for people. So they're like, oh, that's me. Where do they go to get their hands on this beautiful book? Mm, Thank you. The test that I always use for this question, for if people should work with me, if they, you know, whatever capacity it's in is, what are you noticing in your body right now? You know, as we've talked about some of these topics, as we've kind of uh, delved into this non-ordinary space, is there something inside that is saying, hmm, curious, or, oh my God, yes, or uh, I need to know more. And My goal as a leader is to always return sovereignty to the person who may be following my example. So Mm. if there's something inside of you that is seeking this aspect and there's something uh, moving, a forward moving sensation or an opening sensation, that would be a pretty good indication that you should (laughs) kind of take a look at at what's happening in the book. (laughs) And where do people go to get it? awakeningthemystics.com, super simple, or my website, drmattk.com. I love it. And that's where they can also find out about working with you. You have an office in Encinitas if they want to come in for some network. Or if people want to learn more about network, what's the website for that? They've actually just switched it. So it's now epienergetics.com. Can you spell that? Yep. E-P-I-E-N-E-R-G-E-T-I-C-S. So just like energetic with the word epi, E-I-P-I. In Got front. it. Got it. Wow. They should have just kept it network spinal or something like that. That's <laughs> so much easier, but they didn't consult me. Oh, Dr. Matt, thank you so, so much for being um, a friend and a teacher in my life for writing this book and for your own awakening. You know, I always like to acknowledge people who have said yes to the call because mm. it's not always an easy yes. It is in hindsight, But in that initial beginning, it's not always an easy yes. So thank you for saying yes. Mm, Thank you. And thank you for acknowledging that. I think as those of us who have the mystic archetype, it's the only thing we can do. And it doesn't always feel that way in the process. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. 